Before we begin, tonight's class was dedicated by Mr. and Mrs. Yossi and Rachel Chazanov. This is in honor of Mrs. Chazanov's father's yard site that is tonight. Yitzchok Shmuel ben Yehuda. All of our shalom. Neshama have a very great aliyah to the greatest of high heights. May he channel lots and brachas and a lot of and everything in the material and in the spiritual to you and your family, much nachas, and parnasa barachava, and good health, and only, only good things. And Be'ezus Hashem, very soon, with the coming of Mashiach, we should be reunited. Um, another dedication tonight was in honor of Dr. Michael Hakimi, and this is in honor of his birthday. Uh, this is by his good friends from Beis Betzalel. Um, may Hashem bless you, Michael, with a Wonderful, wonderful good year, and a happy, happy birthday, and a lot of mazel, and only, only good things should come your way, and a lot of prosperity and growth, both um, in the spiritual and material things, should be a really, really good year for you. Thank, thanks uh, for that dedication, and then uh, the CD this week uh, was dedicated by the Smolyansky family, this is in honor of a yard site of a um, a grandmother, Fega Bas Moisha Aleha Hasholem. And her yard site is the seventh of Cheshvan, further up in the week. I think on Friday, may her Neshama have a great Aliyah. May she channel much, much, much brachas to the Smolianskis and all that they need and all that they want. And everything, 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 only Mazel Bracha and only good things. Thanks for these dedications. Okay. Um, we are ready now to begin to this week's class, Parshas Lech Lecha. Now, one of the things um, that we have in this parsha, it's an exciting parsha because we learn all about Avram Avinu and everything um, that uh, happens in his life. Towards the end of the parsha, we have a covenant. And actually, there's two covenants. There is the covenant of the bris milah, when Hashem commands Avram Avinu to make the circumcision. But before that, there was another covenant, and that's the covenant called the covenant between the pieces. 
um, it's the covenant that God makes with Avram Avinu in which he foretells him the entire challenging history of the Jewish people and how in the end it's going to be really good but how uh, difficult it's going to be until we finally finally get there uh, he hints to him all, the, all the, the, the Egyptian exile that he tells him explicitly and I mean not mentioning which country it is but he speaks about a terrible exile, affliction and suffering and then uh, in the psukim over there, it describes through the darkness and the fear and, and the various different words. It was a terrifying experience when Avram fell asleep. And, um, and in, that, in that experience, there was, he was alluding to, God was alluding to future four exiles that the Jewish people are going to endure. But in the end, uh, it speaks about the triumph of Israel and the Jewish people and the ultimate good that's going to come out of it. Thank God we're living in the time of history uh, when all the challenge and all the difficulty is behind us. We're living at the time when we're ready to reap the rewards of that this conversation. It's so interesting to when you think, really think about it, how fortunate we are to be living at this time. I mean, it makes every story of the Parsha and every story so much more relevant because whatever happened with Avram, Yitzhak, and Yaakov was all like preparing for the ultimate. And to live right at the ultimate is exciting because there's a very long in-between between all these amazing beginnings and the very, very final end. And we were probably there somewhere because we know we're kind of reincarnated souls. So we were, we were at various different intervals. We, were, we, were, we had that, that experience. But, but now without any doubt, we're holding at the threshold of redemption. So when you read the Pesukim, we should read it with extra attention, with extra excitement because... It's like the, the whole point of it was where we are standing now. And that, on the other hand, creates tremendous frustration of why we can't see it happen yet. Like what's blocking, what's not letting it. And that, 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 in a sense, when we learn Parsha, we should, we, we should be praying while we're learning as well. Because we were so here, and yet, and yet where is it? But in any case, we, we learn about the covenant. Now this covenant that the Abishta made with Avram Avinu, is the beginning of a whole bunch of covenants that we find in the Torah that God continues to make with the Jewish people. Um, we have this covenant with Avram, and as I mentioned, soon after that, there is the bris milah, which is also called a covenant. And then we continue later on when the Hashem gives the Torah to the Jewish people, there was a covenant at Sinai. And where Moshe Rabbeinu, uh, on the fifth day, the Torah was given on the sixth day of Sivan. But on the fifth day of Sivan, a day before that, there was instructions to Moshe Rabbeinu that he was going to make a covenant between God and Israel. And they, and they, had, they took animals and, they, and uh, he appointed the, the first, the born, that at that time were the Kohanim. And they shachted the animals, ritual, ritually slaughtered those animals. And then they took the blood and they split the blood. It says that an angel came down from heaven and split the blood perfectly, exactly in half, which is very, very, it wouldn't be humanly possible to get it to the, to the actual measure, to the very, very, very tiniest, whatever, minuscule drop. And then that, and then half the blood was sprinkled on Israel and half of the blood was sprinkled on the Mizbeach, on the altar. And that was a sign of a covenant that God was making with the Jewish people. And then we find all the way further, in the, further on in the Torah, we have another covenant, which we read it, which we read just recently before Rosh Hashanah, Moshe Rabbeinu, before the passing 
his leaving of this world at the end of the 40 years, right before we're ready to enter the Eretz Yisrael. Again, we have a covenant. Atam nitzavim ayoyim kulchem. You are all standing together. To cross through a covenant. So tonight, I'd like to talk about the significance of this covenant. And what is the meaning of the covenant that Hashem makes and in some way continues to make with the Jewish people? What is the significance of the bris? In davening in the morning, we begin our prayers every day with hodu. And that's like the first, after we say the introductory prayers, which are the prayers of um, the karbanos, the, the sacrifices, uh, we enter into the main part of davening, what's called psuke de zimra, the verses of song, we say a passage called Hodu Lashem, Kiru Bishmo. It's a long passage, and it's a combination of many psukim from lots of places. And um, the, the Medrash in Tehillim relates that the reason we say Hoidu, those passages, at that time, which I think the beginning of it is taken from Divrei Hayamim. I'm not exactly sure, but I think the beginning of it, and there's a series of psukim, are taken from the uh, Divrei Hayamim from Chronicles. And over there, the, 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 the Medrash in Tehillim says that when they, in the Yazara, in the, um, even at the time of the Beis Amigdash, they had this prayer, and they would say Hodu. They would all gather together, all the Kohanim, all the people in the courtyard, they all gathered together to read, to recite the blessings of the Shema, and the Shema together, and certain prayers they did even in the Beis Amigdash. But one of the things they did was Hodu. And the, the Medrash says, why did they say Hodu? Because of one Pasuk. They wanted to mention one verse. What's the verse? Zichru la'olam brisoi. That Hashem remembers forever His covenant. Ashekaras es Avraham. That Hashem had sealed with Avraham. Ushvuasai liyitzchak. And that He had made an oath to Yitzchak. Interesting. In Tehillim we have that same verse. It doesn't say liyitzchak. It says liyitzchak. It spells Yitzchak with a sin. But in the Siddur, the way we say it, we say shvuasai liyitzchak. That's because in Chronicles, in Divrei Yomim, it mentions it as Yitzchak. But in any case, that pasuk of mentioning this covenant at the beginning of davening is considered so important and so great that that is the reason why it is said um, every day in our daily prayers. So in a sense, we're opening up our prayers with mentioning this covenant. Now, if we open our prayers with Hoidu, and the only reason we say Hoidu is so that we can mention this pasuk, that means that this is the beginning in which we approach God every day. We're approaching Hashem every day, highlighting and, and, and emphasizing and reminding God. We're saying, Zichru la'olam, remember, Brisa, your covenant, that you've made with Avram. And then in davening it, it comes up again another time. habris. That's later, as we're getting closer, and we're standing up already, we're entering closer. Again, we repeat about the covenant. So what is this significance of the covenant? So in Hasidus, it says an interesting thing, that Tzemach Tzedek brings that there are three types of covenants. There are three kinds of covenants that are possibly made. Uh, there is first uh, one level of a covenant in which two people that are strangers, people that are, don't have an intrinsic bond or an intrinsic relationship to each other, but they make a covenant, and their form of covenant is a form of a commitment to a certain project. The covenant really means a commitment. It's a very powerful, serious commitment. It's an unbreakable commitment. That's why you make a covenant. Because sometimes you have something that you're getting involved with, and you're interested. 
But as we know, the way we are all the time is that we get very excited about certain things, but then our focus, our attention span is not too long, and then after a while, we get caught up with other things, and our excitement that we've had, and so on and so forth, in which we were even committed, we wanted, and even if we make a commitment, we get involved in something, but our minds and our hearts get caught up with something else, and now it's possible that we, we, we don't really keep those commitments, or even if we do it, we do it half-heartedly, we're not really there. So that's where the covenant comes in, to, to certify, to make sure, to solidify it, to make it in, to etch it, to, to, to make it concrete that it's going to be. So what do we find such a covenant between strangers? You have next week in the parsha that Avram Avinu, in Parsha's Vayera, makes a covenant with Avimelech. Now Avimelech and Avram Avinu are not in any way related. They don't have an intrinsic, essential family bond. Quite on the contrary, Avimelech is the father of the Philistines. Is, is it connected to, to the, today's days uh, Phil, uh, Palestinians? Uh, if, if, even just by sharing the name, even if that's all that it is, it's a sharing the name, and that definitely tells us that we're not dealing with our best friends. And yet, Avram Avinu makes a covenant with him. What's the covenant? There was a dispute over the wells that were dug. Avram's servants dug wells. Avimelech's uh, servants uh, uh, claimed that the wells were there from before. It's their wells, and so on and so forth. They worked it out between each other about kind of respecting each other's property and each other's uh, space. You see the, 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 this nature of the contesting of certain things going back in our history to Avram Avinu with the Palestinians, going back all the way to that time. But they make a covenant. And in that covenant, and in that covenant, um, how do they make the covenant? They took seven sheep, they took seven sheep, and Avram Avinu stood those, he stood those seven sheep to the side, and he said, these are the seven sheep, and these sheep should be a sign of a covenant that we've made with each other. And that is that what? That we will respect this, we will respect this um, solution that we've come up with. They came to a certain agreement, and that this agreement will stand as a sign for that, these are the seven sheep. It's an interesting thing to like use a sheep as monument because you know the sheep can die tomorrow. But okay, that's what they set up. They set the sheep up as the covenant that would be amongst them. That's one kind of covenant. Then we have another covenant. But so let's let's analyze that a moment. What's the idea of that covenant? The idea of the covenant is that we're dealing with strangers, with people that don't have any intrinsic bond with each other. They are in agreement or they are forging a certain connection based on some kind of an external interest. Here there was an, a, a property dispute. They wanted to keep the peace. There shouldn't be any, any war amongst them. So they made this, this agreement. So the, that's why, if you think about it, that was expressed in the covenant. They took something outside of them. They took sheep, which is an entity that's, that exists independently. And the sheep was serving as the point of contact, a shared interest between both of them. And these sheep would remind them that they're partners in this deal. Fine. So that's that one kind of a covenant. It's a friendship, and we would refer to that as a friendship that's dependent on something. Okay? There, is a, there is an interest. We both want to live in peace and tranquility, and the way we're going to 
you know, have that happen without further dispute, is that we have this, and this is representing, or this is standing there as a reminder of our combined interest in this agreement. Then there is another covenant, and that's the covenant that God made with Avram Avinu. The Brisbane Absarim. In the Brisbane Absarim, the manner in which the covenant was made is the way it's called. It's called the Bris, the covenant, between the pieces. Bain Absara means between the cut pieces. What happened? Hashem instructed Avram to take various animals, a whole series of animals. He gives them an exact number, animals and birds. And he tells them to cut the animals in half. Okay? So Avram slices these animals in half and the birds. And then uh, the idea of the, of the covenant was that Again, in the Pasuk, I don't think it mentions that Avram Avinu walked past these, these, uh, these psarim, these pieces, but it probably did, because it says that there was a, a, a fire, and the fire passed in between the, the pieces. The, anim, the pieces were, were laid on, 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 on two sides. There was a pathway in between the halves of the animals, and the fire passed through them. And I would imagine that Avram Avinu also was told to walk through it. Let me see if it's mentioned so openly, but I don't think so. Uh, the Ebershter tells him, Yeah, no, it just says that there was a fire that went by the cup. But in concept, the idea is that both parties walk through between. That's what Rashi, Rashi says that in Parshas Netzavim. That when you make such a covenant, both parties that are, that are getting involved in this agreement are walking through these cut pieces. So what is the significance and what does it mean, this covenant? So this covenant is already a much deeper covenant. Um, the idea over here is that we're dealing with two beings that even though externally perceive themselves as two beings, but essentially recognize that they're one and they're incomplete without the other. And that's the sim symbolism in the covenant is that you're taking one entity and you're slicing it in half. And what, and, and, and what is demonstrated is that even though you have two bodies, two separate bodies, here you have a half a body with a tail and two legs, and here you have another half a body with a head and two forearms. And yet, even though it's two separate and they're all occupying their own space, but they're incomplete because they're really one body. And the only half completion, if you move the two together, then you'll have a whole body. So what is the idea behind this? The idea behind this is that when you have beings that seemingly externally seem to be separate entities from each other. They're not one, they're two separate entities. Yet there is a certain recognition and understanding that we're not really two, even though externally on the surface level it might appear that we are two, but intrinsically and truthfully we're one. The perfect example for that is a couple that get married. When a couple are getting married, we're dealing with two distinguished individuals, two people who didn't even know each other a little while before. They were born, they could be born in two corners of the world. They can be born at different times, they can be a couple of years apart. They can come from two different families, from completely different backgrounds. And there's no blood relationship between the two. And these are 
in a sense, random, uh, another person from amongst the 8 billion people on the planet. And yet I am choosing to live the rest of my life with this person. Why? Because I realize getting to know the person and something that this is stirring within me is I'm, really, I'm realizing that you are the other half of my soul. And we're soulmates. And for that, we have the teachings of Kabbalah and Hasidus that teach us that really a husband and wife are really one neshama, which were once one entity in heaven. At a certain point, whenever that was, this neshama was split in half. One came down on one side of the world and one in, as, as in a male form. The other one came down as the female form. But yet they're one, just like Adam and Chava, were really also one entity. And Hashem called, it's interesting, by Adam and Chava it says, Vayikra, Hashem called them, Zachar and Ekeva Baram, Hashem created them, Zachar and Ekeva. That's a pasuk later, after it describes the conclusion, not, not when it's going into the details of how Chava was made from Adam's ribs. That too illustrates how Chava is really one with Adam, she's created from his ribs. But in addition to that, later when it describes their birth, it says, now, this, is the, this, this is the day that Hashem created, that Hashem created, and Zachar and Nekeva Baram, He created them male and filem, and it says over there that He called them Adam. That means they were called Adam together, even though generally we refer to Adam more as the male side, and Chava is called Chava, but in truth they were together, they were called Adam. Male and female together. And that reflects really in truth in every marriage. In every marriage, the two people that are getting married are really one neshama, and they're, they're realizing that they're really, they're really one, even though they look and appear to be two. And when they're going under the chuppah, they're completing each other again. And what they're really, really, um, the, the idea of getting married is the understanding that I am incomplete without you. I can't live my life without you. And it's possible, of course, as two people, we're going to continue functioning as two entities, and there are going to be times that we're not necessarily together, but I know that I don't have any fulfillment. I don't know I can't, I don't have any sense of self even if you're not with me. I need you to be with me so that together we're complete. I'm not me, you're not you. We're both half of beings. It, that means even if I am very, very successful and I go out and I make a lot of money and I have a lot and I can kind of fulfill my dreams. If you're not with me, I have nothing. Why? Because I'm just half without my other half. You're my other half. That's the idea of a marriage, and that's the idea of a covenant that's illustrated with, the, with taking an animal, slicing the animal in half, because what it's conveying and what it's saying is that each piece of these animals, in as much notwithstanding the fact that they are separate pieces, yet the two of them are one animal and one entity. Now, there is a third covenant. And the third covenant is close to the second covenant, but different than the second covenant, in that the second covenant emphasizes how I have to be with you, and it's the closeness of the two halves. The two halves stick together because they're one. But there's a third kind of a covenant, and the third kind of covenant is when you have two entities that know that for whatever reason, circumstances have brought them to a point where they have to split and they're going to be separated. Because you have two sisters or you have two brothers or you have a couple 
that are, as we said before, they're really one. But now they're going apart. Situation has brought it that they're being separated. And this is a separation which is, and they know that the separation is going to be for a very long time. And they might not be in communication with each other. And they might lose touch with each other. Because they're going in, in places where they will not be able to communicate. And they're going to be very, very far for a very long time. So in order to make sure that they will never forget each other, and that, event, and that their aspirations and their desires are always going to be to reunite and always come together, they take a certain substance and they break it in half. But instead of putting the two pieces together next to each other, like happened by the Brisbane Absarim, that you took the two pieces of animals next to each other and the two peep and the two uh, parties walked through to indicate their desire to always connect and always be with each other, here each one takes half and that is, and, 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 and they go away when they leave and they part each one with half. So it's like taking a, 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 a necklace or some kind of a piece of, of jewelry and they break it in half. And then each one has a half a bracelet or a half of the chain. And they know, so whenever they're wearing that necklace or whenever they're wearing that chain or whatever, they, they know that they're, they're, it's, the half is missing. The other half is missing. And their hopes and their dreams are for, that one day this chain is going to be complete again. This day, one day is going to come, they're going to be able to get together again. So in that first case, in the first covenant, it's also a oneness. But in that case, quite on the contrary, they're committing to live close to each other and be together all along. We're not dealing with a separation. But there's a third kind of a covenant where there is a covenant in a state where there is a separation and the two are separating and, and, and connecting and making sure that even when they're going apart, they're always going to dream of one day coming back together again and being one. These three elements of a covenant God made with the Jewish people. The first aspect of the covenant that we spoke before, a covenant where you have two strangers that are jointly joining together in a venture, in a project, and they're making a covenant to be committed to that project, is the covenant that is, that is, that is the Jews' covenant with God in terms of their commitment to Torah and mitzvahs. Because what is really being said, if you're looking at it, on a more superficial, external level, the idea of the relationship of Yidin through Torah and Mitzvahs is that God has a job that He needs to get done. Hashem wants the Torah and the Mitzvahs to be observed. He went and He offered it to all the nations. No one accepted it. The Jewish people were those who were willing to take on the task. They were willing to be the ones employed by Hashem to do His work. So it's like a person that is looking for someone uh, to do his job, like he hires employees. So God hired the Jewish people to do his work in this world. And as a result of the work, the Abishter promised that he's going to reward us for that work. So God needs Torah and mitzvahs to be done. We, the Jewish people, need reward. We need to be taken care of. So it's an exchange. So it's like two people getting involved in a business. Each one is committing whatever they're committing because they all have their own personal interests in the business. 
Essentially, these two entities, these two beings, are unrelated to each other. But there is this shared interest that they both share, that, that if, you, if, you, if you look deeply into it, it's really two interests, but, each, but this interest is going to be fulfilled through a shared project. You're going to do so and so, I'm going to pay you so and so, but I'm going to get out of it as I'm going to get the work done. You're going to get out of it and you're going to get your payment and you're going to get the reward. And that's, and that's Torah mitzvahs. And it is possible, of course, uh, on a very low, I would say, non-Hasidic approach to Yiddishkeit uh, highlights a lot this, this idea. Learn Torah, do mitzvahs, go to Olam Haba, get a lot of reward. And it's true. God promises it to us. The Torah keeps on emphasizing that there is olam haba, there is reward, and so on and so forth. Of course, there's an element of shalol shema. It's not so much about a connecting to God, but there's a certain part in us that responds to that very well. I wouldn't say that this is a very deep neshama diga kind of observance. Those that are connected to their souls are not necessarily inspired, or at least the soul inside of them doesn't really tick by this kind of this, this kind of this kind of Judaism in which one is stimulated just because you're going to go to Gan Eden, you're going to get a big portion in Olam Haba or the fear of getting punished and the like. But there is a certain part in us that does respond to that and that's called the animal soul. We all have an animal soul which is self-centered and that self-centered Nefesh Bahamas animal soul does function on the, on the notion of what's in it for me. What, what am I going to get? And sometimes when all the abstract truths, absolute truths of Torah and mitzvahs and the like, and very, very, very altruistic or what we call ideal aspects of Judaism doesn't speak to us, is not motivating us because we're not, ta- we're not in that, we're not conscious of our higher, deeper selves. We're in a very low, gluttonous state. And all I want right now is to have a good time, take care of myself. And in that time, persuasive arguments of going to Davin or learning Torah, doing mitzvahs, because of some abstract connection to God, doesn't, is not going to overpower my animal instincts right now. So I have to speak to my animal soul in a language that my animal soul will respond to, but my animal soul is able to relate to. And our animal souls relate very much to gain. You know what? You'll do so and so, you'll get a hundred bucks. For sure, I'm in it. But there is such a covenant, and God did make this covenant with Israel. You keep my mitzvahs, I'm making a covenant that I'm... The, actually, the parshios in which the Abish discusses, parshas Bechukoso and parshas Kisavoy, in which it's discussed the reward and the punishment, they are called Eiled Divrei Habris. These are the words of the covenant. That is a covenant that God made with Israel. You keep my mitzvahs, I'm going to pay you for it. But here you can ask a question. Why in the world do you have, do you need a covenant for that? I mean, obviously, if we both have a shared interest, why do I have to make a covenant? A covenant means on, on something that, you know, if there is no interest, I have to assure that, there is, that, that the commitment is going to be. But here it's a, it's a necessity. God needs the Torah and the mitzvahs, so to speak, to be done. The Jewish people, we need God to be our sustainer and to take care of us. So of course we're going to keep the Torah and we're going to do the mitzvahs because it's, and he's going to stay committed to the deal because he needs, he needs his profit that we, that, that we give him through the mitzvahs. We need our profit of him taking care of us and we're going to keep to it. So why do you need a covenant? 
But here too, a covenant is necessary. And the reason why a covenant is necessary, even on, as we said before, on that lower level of connection to God, that in which we see ourselves, us and Hashem, as two separate entities un, in, that don't have an intrinsic relationship to each other. After all, God is God. He's infinite. He's absolute. He's forever. We are limited, finite human creations. So what kind of intrinsic connection can we have with God? So what's the relationship? The Abishter has an interest in Torah and mitzvahs. And we, the Jewish people, volunteered to get the job done and he's paying us for it. Fine. Why do we need a covenant for it? So there is an explanation given that the reason why we need a covenant for it is because it's easy for any one of these two parties to back out on the deal, even if there is, an there is a shared interest. Because initially there could be an interest, but it's possible for a reconsideration, chas v'shalom, to happen on the part of both parties. In which it's like a person has a certain investment, as I mentioned earlier, you invest yourself in something, and then you reconsider if, you're, if it's worth it for you. Maybe it's not that worth it. In which case is that? We talk about God and his Torah and the, 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 the kind of what he gets from our observance of Torah and mitzvahs. You realize that the Ebishter, Hashem is Ein Sof. Ein Sof, Ein Sof, Ein Sof. Ein Sof means he's without an end. He's limitless, he's boundless, he's, he's, he's forever. And, right? and where the creations are finite, the meaning of a finite being to an infinite creator essentially is absolutely zero. And therefore everything that we as finite beings can possibly do which is being stimulated by our finite motivation and therefore it's an, a finite action with finite energy can only impress and it can only stimulate up to a certain level. In other words, even if we should to say that God took an interest in the world and wants the Torah and the mitzvahs for a very, very important reason, the question is how deep within God does it really, 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 really matter? Perhaps it only matters to Hashem as God has already condensed and contracted himself to look at this world as an important project. But when God retracts, like we always speak about Rosh Hashanah, when God retracts to his infinite, endless, ain't kite, if you can say, his bleak, his, his, as he truly is, then all of, the, all of the world, all of the universe turns into absolute zero. And if it's absolute zero, then, 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 then what is the significance of our mitzvahs? What's the significance of anything that we do? So it's almost like if you would say, you know, if a bunch of ants build a, from little pieces of sand, build a tiny little castle, but a really, really sm small ant little castle, right? and they build it out of sand. A bunch of ants, like a, a, like a, like a, a few hundred thousand ants together are carrying little pieces and they build this little, little, little castle. It might tweak your interest for five minutes as you're looking, but they presented it to you and now they want you to t take care of them forever, for all their life. And you should be involved with all the aspects of these hundred thousand ants because they built you this castle. I mean, the castle is an insignificant, and as insignificant this beautiful castle is to, to, to a human being, we can understand that all the castles that we build from all the good that we do compared to the Ein Sof of Hashem, who God really is, it really, really is insignificant. So there possibly would be a possibility for the Abishter, for Hashem to disconnect Chas v'shalem, God forbid, his interest of all of our actions, that everything we do should be meaningless to him. For that God committed himself by Matan Torah and made a covenant. His covenant that he made was 
that he is committed to this that we will do? Well, it's a choice. We don't understand why. But it is a choice that God made that this will interest him and it will be amusing and exciting and important and significant to him, the work that we do. That's the commitment on God's end. That's why there needs to be a covenant. On our end, there also needs to be a covenant because we too possibly could chas v'shalom back out on the deal. Why would we be able to back out on our deal with our covenant with the Abishtan? Because we said before, I mean, obviously we need, I mean, how can we, we can't live without Hashem, we can't survive without God. You know, God can survive without us, seemingly at least on the, but we, the Jewish people, can't survive without God. We need Him to sustain us, take care of us. So how can we, God forbid, in any way even entertain the thought of shutting down this project of learning, of keeping the Torah and, and, and doing the mitzvahs, how would it even, 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 even enter our mind? And the answer is, I mean, there's another few billion people in the world and they are kind of doing pretty well without keeping the Torah and the mitzvahs. Somehow they're alive. Somehow they're making money. Somehow they're wealthy. Somehow they're pretty, many of them are pretty well off and there's no observance of Torah and mitzvahs. Where are they making all their, where are they receiving all their blessings from? And the answer is, the Abishter, of course, is the control over the entire planet and the entire world. And he sustains every creature and every being. But there is such a concept called the chambers or the forces of the Klippa of the unholy, which are powerful entities that God created and that he sustains them and gives them power and gives them lots of affluence and lots of energy for them to be able to channel for them to be able to distribute to whom, whom they feel is doing their bidding. How does that fit with God's Hashgacha Pratis? It is all included in Hashem's perfect Hashgacha Pratis. He's of course the over, overseeing manager over everything, but yet He gives them the ability to be able to, make, to, dis, to distribute. This is the idea that it says in, in, in Psukim, in, that the Abishter, that Hashem gave to the nations God gave them, the Pasuk warns the Jewish people that maybe you will lift up your eyes and maybe you will see the sun and you will see the moon and maybe you will start, start looking at the zodiac and at the constellations and you will begin to realize that there are certain forces within nature which people can tap into and those forces can become sources of blessings and it says in the Pasuk, God gave that, enabled people to who? To the nations of the world. That God, your God, has this, made, that, made them the lot of the nations of the world. We know that every nation, every country, every people has a ministering angel. And that ministering angel has wealth, has power, and as much as God gives that ministering angel, and that ministering angel is a sustainer of life on earth. All the blessings that come to any government, to any country, uh, or to any given country, whether it's the United States and so on and so forth, it's all being, the checks are being written by, the, by these ministering angels above. So it's possible for the Jewish man or woman to say, listen here, there are other channels. I don't have to be plugged into God's direct channel. We can work things out with kind of the other ones that are in charge. So the Medrash tells a story. The Medrash says a story that there was once a king that was coming to 
was coming to town. The king was coming to the country. The king was coming to the city. And everybody ran out to greet the king. It was a huge parade. But as the king was coming closer, the people in the town, the people in the city, the Medrash calls it B'nai HaMadina, the people in the country, looking out at the entourage that was coming, and they were noticing officials. They were noticing people that were dressed different than the regular servants. And a little bit inquiry, they started seeing that these were people who were parading before the king, in front of the king, before the king was coming. And, and they found out this one is the duke, the other one is the count, the other one is the governor, and so on and so forth. And the people amongst themselves were talking, and they were saying, you know, these are an impressive group of people. And this one said, you know what, I'm going to forge a connection in his mind. He said, I'm going to forge a connection with the duke. The other one said, I'm going to connect to the, uh, to the count. And the other one said, I'm going to connect to the governor. And there was suddenly, there was one wise man amongst them. And he said, I don't want no duke, I don't want no count, I'm not interested in the governor. No, no, Siv Malka. I am going to connect to the king himself. Why? The Kula Mishalfin, because they're all exchangeable. Umalka Loim but the king is not, not exchangeable. Which means all the other appointees, they're appointed by the king. The king appoints them and he, he gives them reign, he gives them power, he gives them authority. But in one moment, he can dethrone them, he can or de, uh, de demote them. And off and they're out. Like you look at the current administration every day, you know, there's a whole change in the White House. Who's, <laughs> every day is all, it's in and out. So when you're appointed to something, not necessarily you're staying there for too long. So this is a kulam and they all, they all change. But the king himself, loy mischalif, it doesn't change. And the question is asked, <laughs> The, 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 the Medrash says there was a pikeach, there was a wise man, a wise man that took, it took a brilliant chacham, and he saw that, uh, I'm not interested. Don't they all realize that the king is like the, if you, if you, if you want to connect to someone, the king is also coming to town, why not get in the favor of the king? Why get into favor of all these other people? And the answer is, with the king there is no monkey business. With the king you have to serve and you have to do that which the king is requiring to be done, and that's hard labor, that requires tremendous commitment even to the point of self-sacrifice. When you're willing to do that, he will reward accordingly. But the king you can't bribe, and the king you can't buy off, because he is, if it's a king that's deserving to be king, he's a man of truth, he's a real, and so on and so forth. All the other guys you can make monkey business with, you give him a little here, you bribe him over here, again. this. In other words, you can get away from being, from, from doing your job as a citizen or whatever contributions you need to do, and you can manage through various different protections and connections and so on and so forth to wiggle your way with them, right? But with the king, you can't do that. And that is the reason why others were interested in finding favor with all these various, what we call intermediaries, because with them, it, it doesn't require the difficult work. The, the thing about the wise man was that he realized that even though temporarily you could receive all the benefits and sometimes even bigger benefits. Because if you befriend these people, they don't care so much about the good that you do, they just care about the bribe that they got. And therefore, they can reward and they can give you access to make contracts or whatever it is. But whatever it is, you can work things out with them that is not to the benefit of the country. Right? Not to the benefit of this. 
and you were with, with right? With the king, you can't do that. So, so the, 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 the wise man, he realizes that he's interested in the hashpa, which means in that which the king is giving, because that's, a, that's true, and that's real, and that's lasting, and that's permanent. That's the Pasuk says, Chelki Hashem Omra Nafshi, that our souls, Tafka the Jewish soul, senses the truth of Hashem, and the neshama doesn't want to receive its hashpah, its influence from any of the things, from any of the ministering angels. Which means, as a result of our Torah and mitzvahs, God has committed himself that, as a, that in, in exchange for the good that we do in Bechukai Saitelechu, if in, the, in my statutes you will go, and my mitzvahs you will observe, God promises us a bunch of things that he's going to give us in exchange for that which we do for him. But we find sometimes that there are Jews that aren't necessarily committed to Torah and mitzvahs, but yet we see they're doing really well. And the answer is that it's possible, even for a Jew, temporarily to tap into other sources of success, other sources of sustenance. We find that the Jewish people in, mitz- in the Midbar were suggesting something like that. The Jewish people in the Midbar complained and they said, you know, we have, after a while, it was getting to them that the, the Torah mitzvahs, it's a lot, it's a heavy yoke. It demands a lot. And they complained. And they said, we remember the fish, that we ate in Egypt, for free. What does that mean? That the ministering angel of Egypt sometimes gave a free handout didn't require much work. And the Jews said, we remember that. So what do we have to take from that? So there's a Pasuk that says, Al tiftechu binedivim. We say it in davening. Do not trust in the noblemen. So what does it mean, don't trust in the nedivim? So the, the deeper meaning is that these forces, these powers of the unholy, that people could, that could sometimes be considered the benevolent ones. Because they don't demand much in exchange. You do a little bit their bidding, whatever they need from you, and yet, and they'll give you a, a big, they'll give the person a big reward. So the Pasuk says, do not believe in, do not, do not trust in them. Put your trust in God. That is the reason why the Jewish people also need to commit to the covenant of Torah and mitzvahs. Because as we said earlier, just like God, there would be chas v'shalom, a possibility for God to backtrack on his covenant that he made with the Jewish people in regards to Torah and mitzvahs. Because Hashem might say, you know what, why do I need this? This is just a little silly sandcastle made by little ants. What difference does it make to me what they're making? It's also possible the Jewish people should say, why do I need all this difficult laborious commitment to the Abishter? I can receive my, my uh, parnasa, I can receive my sustenance through various other channels. So therefore, that's the idea of this covenant. But that's just, as we said before, the most external level of our covenant with God. There is a much deeper covenant that we had with God. And that's the covenant that God made with Avram Avinu. The covenant that the Abishter made with Avram Avinu is that God is revealed. He didn't really, it's not like he's creating it then. He's revealing that his relationship with us to the Jewish people goes much deeper than what it looks like on the surface 
that Hashem, that we, because we were the ones who stood up to the plate and were willing to do God's job in, job in this world and commit ourselves to all the observance of mitzvahs, which are, that's why God loves us. God says it's much deeper. Because that means, there is, as we said earlier, there's an external factor, there's a prophet that the Abishter needs. The Abishter saying, no, 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 you the Jewish people are my other half, you're my soulmate. To Umasi, you're like my twin sister. I don't have an existence without you. And the famous teaching from the holy Mizricha Magid, when Hashem says, Hashem tells Avram Avinu, make for yourself two trumpets. So the Magid learns, the, the, the Magid is the successor of the Balshemtov, and this is one of the primary teachings of the holy Balshemtov, where the Balshemtov taught that the relationship with the Jewish people is an avatzmis, it's an absolute bond. Why did the Balshemtov treat every Jew with such respect and such love? Even those that weren't that committed, even those that weren't that scholarly, that didn't have all the, all the uh, or as we said before, they weren't, they weren't paying into the, into the uh, or weren't fulfilling what we might call is the, is, the, is, the, is, the, is the base of the relationship of Hashem and, and the Jewish people, which is the observance of Torah and mitzvahs, those that were not so high in the rank of, of, of observance. Yet the Baal Shem Tov cherished these people. Why? So the Maggit says, because Chatzotzros comes from the word Chatz, or we can take the word Chatzotzros and say Chatzitzuros. Chatzitzuros means to half of images. You make, a, you, make a, you make a picture, you make a drawing of a person, and you cut it in half. Chatzi tzuros. God is only half an image. The Abish that we don't understand how, how that's possible. How is that possible for God to need anybody else? How is it possible to think that Hashem is incomplete? But that's what Hashem showed and revealed to Avram Avinu. I cannot be without you. And that's why it's impossible, God forbid, the destruction of the Jewish people from the world. Even though there were times where it looked like it was going to happen, like the story of Haman and the Purim and so on and so forth, where it looked, it cannot happen. It's an absolute thing. Because just like we can, we can understand that, the, that, God, that God can, chas v'shalom, chas v'shalom, chas v'shalom, never be obliterated, the Jewish people can't be obliterated. Because in the liberation of the Jewish people would chas v'shalom mean that God would remain for all of eternity incomplete and half, and that cannot be. It's as if one of the limbs or the second half of God would be, God forbid, amputated. God cannot be without the Jewish people. He is complete with us. That's the idea of machtzis ha-shekel, which is the idea of taking, you know, we're, Hashem says give 10, a whole shekel is 20 geira, Hashem is 10, and we're 10, the ten spherot of God is the first ten, our ten attributes of our soul, that's the other ten. Esrim hagera hashekel is the whole shekel, and we're only a, 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 half, a, a half a shekel. There were those who tried to, tried to suggest that there should be this disconnect from Hashem to his other half, to the Jewish people. That's by the way, it says in Kabbalah and Hasidus was the sin of the generation of dispersion that we read about last week. The Doira Flaga, those who built the tower of Babel, they built the tower up, up. Why are they called Haflaga? Haflaga comes from the word Pilug. Pilug means to cut, it, cut off. They wanted to honor God by saying, God, you can be completed without the Shekhinah. You don't need a holy presence in this world to complete you. Aren't you perfect without, without any help in this world? So they were saying the Abishter 
He is complete. He is above and he's transcendent. So therefore it doesn't matter so much God's presence in this world. So they felt that they could build this ear, omigdal, the city and this big, big tower going all the way up to the heaven. And so that you should say that the male side of God, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, should connect to them, to the klippa, and not to his other half. That God says to the Jewish people, you're my other half. Moshe Rabbeinu says to the Abishter, what does Moshe Rabbeinu say to Hashem? That I and the Jewish people should be separated, that you should never ever, for all, for all eternity, you should never ever dwell your presence on any other people besides Israel, besides the Jewish people. Why? Because it's not, and again, even if other nations or other peoples might be more promising of a prophet, it's irrelevant. I have, you're my wife and, and you're my soulmate. I don't have no one else but you. That's, a, that's the commitment. That's the covenant. The revelation that Yidin are the other half. Kiviyachal of the Ebershter himself. The way I was reading the, just uh, the other day, um, you know, we know that this, this idea, before we get to that, we know the idea that Yidin are or the other half of God, is illustrated also in the, in the tefillin. We know we're, we, we, we wear tefillin, and our tefillin, it says, Shema Yisrael Hashem Elokeinu Hashem Achad. We declare God's unity, God's oneness. And the Gemara says, Tefillin, the Gemara, Alma Maksiv Buhu. The tefillin of Hashem, what does it say in God's tefillin? So it says, Mika Amcha Yisrael, who's like your nation Israel. So we wear tefillin, and Hashem's wears tefillin. His tefillin, Praises Israel, how great the Jewish people are, and our tefillin praises praises Hashem. So Pashtis, when the Gemara says tefillin demara alma, the tefillin of the master of the world, Maxiv Bahu, what is it written in it? See, what is it written in its tefillin? It's written the praises of Israel. But that shows that Abishter, he in his mind thinks about us that we're so important to him. It was a student of the Balshemtov. His name was Reb Chaim. He came from the city of Krasna. He was a, one of the great, very great students of the Holy Baal Shem Tov. And um, the Baal Shem Tov was, was very, held very much of this, of, of this, of this, of this. I'm saying this because they're, they're not, he's not from the more popular Tamidei Baal Shem Tov that people know of. But I read about him, it's really, really fascinating. So this Reb Chaim of Krasna, it's interesting. He once came to the Balshemtov, and he asked the Balshemtov to daven for him and for his wife. He wanted the Balshemtov to have him in mind. So the Balshemtov asked him, "What's your name?" So he's, he said, "My name is." You know, he said, "My name is Chaim ben ben Rachel," and his wife, her name was Chaya Bas Rivka. And the Balshemtov said, "So what's the simon for your name?" A sign for your name, so I should be able to remember it. Well, obviously, the Balshemtov can remember without a sign, but what's the sign for your name? He said, both our names are, are hinted to in the word chaver. Chaver means friend. I guess we're really good friends. We're attached to each other. Chaver. Well, I Chayim ben Rachel and Chaya Bas Rivka. So it's both chaver, ches beis reish. So the Baal Shem says it's not a good sign. Why is it not a good simon? Because how do I know it's Chaya? Maybe it's Chaykel. And how do I know it's Chaya? Maybe it's Chana. So it's not a good sign. But I'll give you a better sign. It says the sign on your name is that Chaim and Chaya, Chaim and Chaya, a couple that got married, Chaim and Chaya, 
you are Yud Kei Vav Kei and Aleph Dalet Nun Yud. Together, you, you spell 91. The gematria of your name is 91. The old, <laughs> to say to two human beings that their name as husband and wife are 91, which is the Yichot of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, and Shechina means that the Balshemtov held of this student on a very high level. This student of the Balshemtov was very, very much wanted to go to up to Eretz Yisrael. All his life, he aspired very much to go up to Eretz Yisrael. He finally liked the Balshemtov himself. He made, a, he made a serious attempt to go, and then when he was on the boat, a terrible storms broke out, and just by mere miracle, he managed to survive and save himself. And he came back and uh, to the city of Moliv. Moliv was by the port. People would go from Moliv. Also later, when the, when, when the, when the Remendeler of Horodok, or Menachem Mendel of Iteps, or the Rupshner Zalman of Liadi, when all these tzaddikim were, was the great aliyah, the Hasidic aliyah to the land of Israel, they, were, they, they left from Moliv. So Moliv was next to the river, I don't know how you, the, 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 the Nestor River. That's the, a river in the Ukraine. And um, so he returned to Moliv and he passed away over there. And he was buried. And it's interesting, he was so upset that he couldn't go to Eretz Yisrael that he said, he gave, when he got sick, he said immediately after that he got sick and he passed away. And he said that they shouldn't put anything on his matzeva, they shouldn't write anything on his tombstone, any praises. He says because he didn't merit to go to Eretz Yisrael is a sign that he doesn't deserve any honor. Because he looked at it as a personal fault. He said, I don't deserve to be honored by any honor, so don't just put my name, nothing else. But the elders of Moliv said that they remember that the Baal Shem Tov came once to the city of Moliv. And the Baal Shem Tov, because when he passed away, it was many years after the Baal Shem Tov passed away. And they said the Baal Shem Tov toiveled, he immersed himself in the, in the Dineyester River. And when he toiveled in the Dineyester River, the Baal Shem Tov said that the source the Dneyester River comes from a pure Mayan, from a holy Mayan, from a very pure Mayan. That means he said something special about that river. And he said, I need that my student Chaim should be buried next to the Dneyester for the sake of Mashiach, for the sake of the Giyur, some kind of secret relating to the Giyur. So this was a very great man. But in any ways, in regards to this Pasuk, I saw something that got me very exciting. In regards to this statement of the sages, Tfilin Demara Alma Mak Sivbuhu, what is it written in the in the Abrish's Tfilin? So this Rebchaim read the Gomorrah as follows. Not Tfilin Demara Alma Mak Sivbuhu, what does it say in it? Tfilin Demara Alma Mak Sivbuhu, in where is it written? In other words, the no Maksiv, Bimaksiv, in what is the Tfilin written? Because our Tfilin is written on a parchment and it's put in the Tfilin. God's tefillin, on what is the Abishtah's tefillin, on which, what's the letters, but what, what is it written on? So he, he said, what is the, the Abishtah's tefillin on? Behu, on them. That means on the Jewish bodies, on all the, the bodies of the Jewish people, they are the parchment in which the Abishtah's tefillin is written on. It's a whole new understanding. The Jewish bodies in this world, we're not talking about souls, we're not talking about abstract souls in heaven. The Jewish bodies down here are the parchment. The Abish's tefillin are written on all the Jewish people. We all combine together, we're all attached as one cloth, as one piece of parchment. And the Abish's tefillin is written on the Jewish people. This is like, we are him, he is us, we're unbreakable. 
the Jewish people on our end also, our commitment to God is not just because of it's nice to be God's people or it's wonderful or it makes sense or so on and so forth. It was a good opportunity we couldn't say no to when God asked us to marry him or so on and so forth. It's like, wow, you can be really. It's because it just is. We cannot be disconnected from the Abishter. It's an essential element. It's who we are to the point that we, we, we cannot be without him. That's the idea. It's not any, there's no logic or reason for it. It just is. The Jewish people, just like we said before, God cannot rest his shechina on anybody else. We, the Jewish people, cannot connect ourselves to any other force other than God just for no reason at all. Why? Because he is our other end. He's our other, our other half. This is also illustrated, as we mentioned, when Moshe Rabbeinu made the covenant with the Jewish people and he took the animals. And we said earlier that the Malach came and the Malach took the blood and he split the blood and half the blood he threw on the altar. That was like throwing the blood on God. And half the blood he, 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 he sprinkled on the Jewish people. What is the deeper meaning of that? You know what it means? It means that we and God are one body. And our blood that flows in our veins is God's blood. And the blood that's, so to speak, flowing in God, so to speak, to Kim, I'm sorry, our blood that flows in our body is Hashem's blood. And the blood that God has, so to speak, that sustains Him, whatever that means, is our blood. As our blood flows up to Hashem and His blood flows down to us. What does it mean that God gave us His blood? When God gave us the Torah, God gave us His blood. Because the Torah is called Zos Torah HaAdam. Torah is called Adam. And it says that Adam is Aleph Dam. Aleph is, is, is Hashem Himself. God's soul, so to speak, Aleph, Alufo Shel Olam, the Ein Sof, Aleph is representing Hashem himself with all of his infinity. It's the Aleph from the word Anochi, I am God, I am, I, as much as I, as much as I am I, I at the very, very essence of self, of the Abishter. Dam is in the blood that's in the Torah, and that comprised the word Adam, and the Abishter gave us the Torah, which means he gave us his blood. We give our blood to God, that's the thousands and hundreds of thousands and even millions of Jews that were mar martyred throughout history that literally gave their blood for Hashem. It's an exchange of blood. It's so deep. It cannot be. There is no severance in this relationship whatsoever, forever and ever. And that was the meaning when Moshe Rabbeinu took the blood and he sprinkled, illustrating and saying and, and, and that, that, that God, we're your blood, we're your life force. You, and to the Jewish people it was telling us, listen Yidin, there is no other options. God is our lifeblood. There's no, there's no, it just is this way. This is the, the um, so, oh, that's why in the morning, interesting, in the morning uh, when, we're, when we're davening, we, rem we remember the covenant. We're saying, Zichru la'olam berisai. What we're basically doing in our prayers is we want to evoke, we're, 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 we're evoking this, the blood element. We're, we're, we want the Abishtah to respond that our blood is his blood. So there should be that he should answer our prayers and understand that, I mean, 
to, to, to realize, to, 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 to actualize this, that, that, that we're, we're, we're one entity. It's not like, because you can say, you know, certain times the Abishta gets upset. Maybe our observance is not so perfect and so on and so forth. But when we realize this is, you made a covenant, a blood covenant. And this is the second covenant. And the third covenant, which, is where, which we mentioned that there's a third covenant, is representing in the time when the Jewish people went to exile. When the Jewish people went to exile, there is a third dimension in the covenant. And that is that the Abishter, that is, as we said earlier, two good, good, good friends, they're separating from each other. The separation, chas v'shalom, might be for a very, very long time. They don't know when they'll get to meet each other again. They take a something, they split it in half. And we, and each one, realizes that that which they have is only a half of pendant, it's a half of bracelet, it's a half of a necklace, it's a half of a ring, it's incomplete unless we come together and we match it with our other half. And that is already a different than as we mentioned before. The covenant of us being God's blood, us, us being expressed in that second covenant is more, was more highlighted mainly in the time of the Beis HaMikdash, when we're together and we're able to experience the Torah, we're able to experience God's blood flowing in us through all the divine revelation that we were constantly, it's like our consciousness was constantly flowing directly from God into us. So it's in that closeness, in that attachment, as we spoke before, the two pieces merge together like a husband and wife living together where they can kind of sense each other because they share the same blood. So the Abishter sheared his closeness to us, his Torah, his light is flowing through our veins. And at that time, it was easy for us to have Mesira Snefesh on a daily basis. I'm not talking about giving our lives, Al Kiddush Hashem, it wasn't that necessary. But the, the, the ability to have Mesira Snefesh because you can sense that your life is divine life, is godly life, because we're so close, and that, that flow and our, our dependency and our connection, our interwovenness with the Abishta was felt very strongly. But now that we separate, and we go, we went, and it's, as it says in the, it says in the Zohar, that during the time of Golas, that God arises, lifted himself up, 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 up. That means there's no godly revelation down here in this world, and we, the Jewish people, are down here, so we both have half the blood. We have, the Abishta has his blood, in the sense that what? He has his Torah. He has his greatness. He has his Torah. We, the Jewish people, we have our blood. What do we have? We have our Mesiris Nefesh. But God, during the time of the exile, doesn't have where that Torah, where that greatness should manifest down here in his other half. So it's remaining up there with all of its light and all of its greatness, but it's not, it's not revealing itself completely in our lower world. We, the Jewish people, we have Mesiris Nefesh. We can go look at all of our history and count if we would only have the names of all the Jewish people who died, whether it was the Holocaust, the Crusades, the Inquisition, and all that. We have all that Mesiris Nefesh, but we don't see for who we've been giving our life for. We don't see, we don't have that reciprocation. We don't. So we have the Mesiris Nefesh, but we have half the chain. He's got half the chain, and we got half the chain, and all day long we pray, and all the time we wait, and we cry out for that chain to become one again for Mashiach to come and, 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 and we, would, we, will, we will join together that is the third dimension of this covenant 
The covenant is that we can never, ever, ever forget that we have a partner, we have another side. And no matter how long and no matter how much time passes, we the Jewish people do not give up because we recognize that this, no matter how, whatever we have in our lives and in our Yiddishkeit is incomplete without our other half. And the Abishter can't either ever make peace with his comfort or whatever it is up there in the, in the higher realms because he knows that his other half is down here. And that is the, the idea of a chorus imayabris, the Abish to make the covenant. But we merit that, the, that the, the, um, all, all aspects of the Krisas bris that the Abish to made with Avram Avinu should already come to a state of revelation. It's all there in essence, but we are asking, we are pleading, we are waiting, and we know, we know it in our gut, we know it in our, in our, in, 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 inside of us that we're mamish right over here already for this beautiful bris and unity and covenant that God made with Israel to be, to shine brightly for the entire world to see the great love and the great oneness of Hashem and the Jewish people. Oh, <laughs> I'm